so um, this morning we are starting a new series called One. We're going to start going through the book of Ephesians just by a show of hands. How many of you have ever read the book of Ephesians? Okay. Um, how many of you, uh, you started it but didn't finish it because you start books and don't finish them? <laughs> Put my hand up. Yeah. Like, I love the first five verses of Ephesians. We're going to finish it. We're going to read it together. Not all today, but we're going to go through this as a, as a church. It's a fantastic book. It's, a, it's actually a letter. It's one that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, which is why it's called Ephesians, right, because he wrote to the Ephesians. Um, and, and here's how it relates to us. It's the holidays are over. Um, kids are going back to school. Anybody ever feel overwhelmed? Anybody? Okay, I'll just make sure I'm not the only one. Um, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Life can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, feels like a lot of things want our attention. Uh, yesterday, I was at home, and um, I was doing a real manly thing, watching HGTV. And, um, and they, they sucked me right in, man. I told Wendy, these people are brilliant because they know that I've got the attention span of a gnat, right? And so what they do is they show this, this show House Crashers, which I just think is amazing. I love it. And I did see one yesterday where the guy went to Charlotte. I keep waiting on him to come to Albemarle. You know, right? Because if I saw him and some dude with a camera, I'd be like, I know this is good. Come to my house. I wouldn't ask questions. But they show the, the stuff, and they show how they transform it. And right as soon as it's over, what do they do? They show the beginning of the next one immediately. And so, like, I keep thinking this is the last one. It's like Lay's potato chips, right? So I can't stop watching. And I loved it. It's great. But here's what really caught my attention yesterday. I think I saw a bazillion infomercials. I can't even remember. I'm trying. To, I'm sitting here during worship, trying to think of all the products that I saw yesterday. The one that I definitely remember is apparently if you lose the lids on your Tupperware, there's a certain product now called Mr. Lid that flips up, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's fantastic, and that lid's never going to break off ever, not even one time. <laughs> Whatever, right? And it fits into your. And you don't, you can have a refrigerator. You open that fridge up, and it's all Tupperware with a lid. It's fantastic. I, I saw all kinds of products, and I noticed that all of them want you to buy their product, right? They want you to buy their product so much that they'll even double the offer if you'll just pay the extra handling, which my wife is so smart. She's like, you know what the extra handling requires, right? And I said, what? She goes, like, clicking one to two on the computer. But they're going to charge you $10 for that, right? They want you to buy. Everybody wants you to buy something. I start feeling even more overwhelmed. I don't even know what all the products were. I just know that when they were done with the commercials, I wanted to buy them. Everybody wants my money. Everybody wants my time. Everybody wants my attention. Everybody keeps sending me bills. What's up with that, right? You start feeling stressed. You start feeling overwhelmed. And what I want you to understand is that's exactly how the people in Ephesians felt. Now, we are going to do this series called One, and it's not really about, I mean, we're going to do, we were talking about this for months, like, let's do a series called One, and I'm all about taglines, right? You want to come up with, I should have been a movie trailer guy, but like, One, the power of focus. It sounds so good, doesn't it? The power of focus, and focus is really, really powerful. If you've ever taken martial arts, you know that focus is important. And I wanted to do that, but then I started thinking, this is more than just focus, right? This is just, you can focus on something, but what if you focus on the wrong thing? What if right now, don't do this, men, but what if right now a, a supermodel walked into the room and all the men started to focus on her? Well, that's powerful, but you're going to die. 
Because you just focused on the wrong thing. If you've ever driven a car, especially early on when you're learning how to drive, not saying this would happen in my house to people that are learning right now, but when you're learning how to drive, if you're driving and you focus on something, your wheel tends to go that direction. Sometimes focus is a good thing, but if you're focused on the wrong thing, so we don't want to do a whole series just on focus, but we want to understand something. In Ephesians, you're going to read the word one a lot. If you read Ephesians, you might not read it. You might get someone else to read it for you and get the cliff notes later. I don't know. But if you read it in NIV, here's what you're going to find 20 times in the NIV. 20 times you're going to read the word one. He's trying to get us to think differently. He's trying to see us, get us to see things differently. He doesn't want us to be so overwhelmed. And so he starts, if people are jockeying for our, for our money, if they're jockeying for us to make decisions, here's the bottom line. If you can only make one decision, there's a lot of pressure attached with that. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to become like Wendy at the Cheesecake Factory. Because when we go to a cheese, it's a good thing. When we go to the Cheesecake Factory, they hand us a phone book, which they call a menu. If you've ever been there, there's like 100 pages of stuff you can order. And it starts to get all over Wendy. She's kind of like panicked because all those choices doesn't mean I've got lots of choices to get something good. It means I've got a lot of chances to screw this up. I'm going to order the wrong thing, and my husband's going to order the right thing. And he's going to get his, and he'll be like, man, I should have gotten that. And if we go with a group of 10 people, my whole family went to the Cheesecake Factory, and I'm not kidding, all of us got our food, and all of us went, I should have gotten that. Because sometimes the more choices that there are, the more pressure there is. The people that lived in Ephesus, they lived in a metropolitan area. There was a lot going on in the city, and most of it was not good. They were distracted. It was easy for them to lose focus. And so he writes a letter, and he uses the word one a lot because here's what I want you to get from this series. Everything we need comes from one. Everything comes from one. Here's the first week, week one of our series one. You're going to hear the word one a lot. We talk about the one choice this morning. We're talking about the one choice that all of us have to make. There's one choice that all of us have to make, and it will impact every choice you make beyond that one choice. Here's the big idea. Right up front. I'm going to give it to you right up front. You can fill it on the top of your sheet. The big idea is this today. When one choice can impact every choice, we'd better make the right choice. When one choice can impact every choice, we'd better make the right choice. That's the Cheesecake Factory dilemma. Whatever I choose right now is going to impact the rest of my night. There's a lot to pick from. There's pressure. I'd better pick the right one. If everything comes down to one choice, that one choice becomes critical. It's the playoffs. I watched football yesterday. One play decides a game. I can't even imagine what I'd look like if I was a kicker in the NFL. For starters, my team would lose, right? I'd be kicking and hitting my own team. 
That kicker goes out yesterday up in Philadelphia. Three seconds left on the clock. That whole game came down to one play. Think he's feeling some pressure? I, would, I think he would be feeling pressure. I bet if you asked him, he'd be like, I kick him all the time. What you're going to learn in this series is this. He kicks them all the time. He kicks them in practice. He doesn't kick them in practice straight on. He goes way over to the side and kicks them so they're nearly impossible to make so that when he kicks it straight on, it's easy. He kicks them all the time. Why do NBA players not feel pressure when they're shooting a free throw to win the game? Because they've shot like 10,000 of those things. They shoot them all the time. They do them over and over again. They prepare themselves for that one moment. If one choice can impact every choice, suddenly there's a lot of weight behind that choice. We've got to make the right choice. So this morning, in honor of the Series 1, I have one point. Aren't you glad? This is a one-point message. It's like a one-chord song, which I don't think there are any one-chord songs. I know there's a two-chord song, but here's a one-point sermon. You ready? The only point you're going to get today, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. How many of you already figured that out before I said it? You're doing a, I'm going a head game. That's good. Choose Jesus. We could stop the message right here. Of course, we're not going to because I'm a preacher. I have to preach. But we could stop it right here because here's what I want you to understand. We're going to study an entire letter that if you're not following Jesus, it's not going to apply to you. Paul can't even get out of the first verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what Paul wrote. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's as far as we get to go today. One verse. Paul didn't write the words, choose Jesus. I did that. I kind of interpret it and put it in there and make it an easy point to remember. But it is huge. It's huge. He knew that from the very beginning. He said, in Christ Jesus. To, I'm writing this to people who are in Christ Jesus. I love how people are. We come to church we don't really know if we want to follow Jesus or not, but we kind of like preachers that we can understand. We like preachers that make sermons sound like life coaching, right? So we kind of take notes and we walk out and we try to make our lives better, but we don't ever really choose Jesus. Do you know what that's like? This is the best analogy I can think of. That's like perfecting the drinking technique, picking the best cup to drink from, perfecting it so you never have to wipe, you don't get anything on your lips, you pick that cup up perfectly, and you're the best drinker ever but you're dipping from poison to drink that's what it's like people that go to church that try to glean wisdom from christians but don't ever want to give their heart to jesus they don't want everyone to choose jesus it's like you can be the best person you can be but you're never going to be good enough we use this analogy a lot when we're talking about evangelism it's like lining up the entire human race on the coast of california and saying, we're going to race to Hawaii, go. Who's making it to Hawaii? Nobody. But there are some people on the shore that will swim a couple miles out. Because they are strong. They're like me. Okay, that wasn't me. But then there's other people that are like me. And they'll make it maybe half a mile out. But eventually everybody's drowning or being eaten by sharks. Or being killed by somebody else who's swimming on top of them. Nobody's making it to Hawaii. 
Sometimes we, we try to be better without making this first choice. There's one choice that everybody has to make. Choose Jesus. And choosing Jesus, that one choice impacts every choice beyond that. We used to go into schools and teach a seminar called Healthy Choices. I've, I've told some of you this. The schools loved it when we came. We taught kids how to make healthy choices, but they didn't like it when I said things like this. So you want us to teach them how to make healthy choices, but you don't want to teach them about Jesus? Well, you can't talk about Jesus. Well, they can't make healthy choices if their heart's not healthy. we got to fix that first. They need Jesus so that they can make right choices. Well, yeah, but, well can you just talk about that but not say Jesus? It's going to be kind of hard. You're great kids. You should do great things. Of course you can't. And I can't help you because I can't tell you. It's all about this guy can't say his name. J-E-S-U-S. You know? We don't want to be good drinkers with great technique that are drinking poison. Let's fix the well first let's get our heart right and how do we get our heart right we choose jesus so here's what he uses this really religious sounding phrase he says to the saints in ephesus the faithful in christ jesus what does it mean to be in christ come back next week next week we'll talk about what it means to be in christ but here's what we're going to say this morning just to make sure you understand it means this it means that we have chosen to go all in to trust Jesus to save us. That we've chosen to go all in to trust Jesus to make a way for us to stand before the holy God that we just sang about. Here's a couple verses. You can just jot these down. Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17. If you read the, the um, New Testament, you'll read about Adam. Adam was the first man ever created. Adam chose to sin, and that's the reason that Jesus came and so in the New Testament, Paul does a lot of talk. He'll write and he'll say things like, you know, in Adam this and in Christ this. And Romans 5.17 basically says this. Adam brought death. Christ brings life. Now, none of us had to choose to be like Adam, right? We just got born that way. It's like those of you that are like me and you're ugly. Did you choose to be ugly? No, you got born that way. It's your parents' fault, right? We didn't choose it. Nobody would choose to be ugly. Nobody chooses to be sinful. The Bible says in Romans 5.17 that we are sinful because of Adam. But in Christ, there's life. Romans 5.17, death in Adam, life in Christ. Ephesians 2, verses 17 to 18. Ephesians 2, verses 17 to 18. We'll get to study this passage when we get to this chapter. Let's just read it right now. It says this about Jesus, that he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Jesus made access for us to be with God and give us peace. And in John 15, 5, John 15, verse 4 says, Remain in me, Jesus is talking, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do 
nothing. Being in Christ allows us to have everything he gives us and nothing he doesn't. So that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Like, I don't understand it. There's a lot of religious words in there. It just means this. If we cut your arm off and throw it over there, we wouldn't do this. Grow! Come on! You can do it! You're a good arm. Heck, it might be a good arm, but it's a dead arm. It's cut off from the body. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What it means to be in Christ is that you're a part of Christ. You've chosen to follow him. He gives you the strength you need to do what you do. It's what makes worship not about you anymore. It's what makes worship about Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That last one makes it very clear that choosing to be in Christ is huge. That's why it's the only point today. Because I don't want to muddy it with other stuff. I want you to sit here today. I want me to stand here today and ask ourselves this question. Have I chosen to be in Christ? And everybody from the South who was raised in church immediately says, yes, I have. How do you know I go to church? Man, let me tell you something. You're going to find this out in just a minute. The people that go to church are often the last people to choose to live in Christ. And here's how I know. Here's what matters so much. This is that second thing on your sheet. You can write these down. Here's what it means. Why does it matter that I live in Christ? If I choose to be in Christ, it's going to change three things. Here's the three things it's going to change. It's going to change how I see, how we see ourselves. It's going to change how we see others. And it's going to change how we see God. Let me just walk you through what that looks like. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called the Ephesians saints. Now, that was a pretty typical thing for him to say. If you read all of his letters, he'll, he'll usually start off with to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in wherever, in Corinth. But here's what it means. I think it's a good thing, right? I mean, we don't give the term saint to, like, bad people. There's no Saint Hitler. Is there? No. So when you hear the word saint, what goes through your brain? Like, I start picturing nuns and monks. What if, what if I stood up here today and I said this? I've got a message today that I want to just share with the saints at the gathering. Now, here's what just went through your head. And it says a lot about us. Most of us in this room, if I called you a saint, you would start telling me all the reasons why you're not one. No, I'm not, no, I'm not a saint. I mean, I love Jesus and all, but I'm not a saint. Why not? Well, I mean, I, did you see me? Were you around me yesterday? Did you, if you could hear what I think, if, if, you, could, if you could hear what I say, if, if you could just be around me for a, you would never call me a saint? Are you kidding? We would try to convince somebody that we're not saints. But I'm pretty sure that the people in Ephesus, when they got this, and it said to the saints, in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus, they didn't take the letter and crumple it up and throw it away and go, well, that's not us. Just the fact that he called them saints, what does that communicate? If they're in Christ and he calls them saints, you know what it communicates? It's going to be hard for you to believe about yourself. It communicates that you are valuable. It changes how we see ourselves, doesn't it? We're valuable. But you don't think you're valuable because you didn't do valuable things last week. 
Because we still, even though we say we're in Christ, we judge ourselves on how we've done. He says, you are saints. I'm writing this to the saints in Ephesus. The lie of Adam is that we can be good enough to cover our sin. That if we try harder, we'll be better. But if we're in Christ, if we're saints, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the one choice of being in Christ. And that's a really hard thing for me to communicate to you. Because you know what it really means? It means you could have lived horribly last week, and you're still a saint. It might be good news for some of us, right? Like, oh, good, because I lived horribly last week. I can still be a saint. But doesn't that just feel weird? Because we're so convinced that saints are only the people that are almost perfect, but not quite. But saints, it's not about what you've done. It's about who you're in. If you're in Christ, the Bible says right here that you are a saint. It should make us sit up a little straighter, shouldn't it? Maybe button that top button. It's like, why are you dressing up so much better? Dude, I'm a saint. They're like, you're a what? You can't be a saint. Why not? Because I know you. You were cussing the TV last night during the game, and it wasn't even the Panthers. There's no way you're a saint. Oh, yes, I am. How can you be a saint? Because I'm a saint because of Jesus, not because of me. Because I'm in Christ. It changes how we see ourselves. It also changes how we see others. Because if I'm a saint, then so are you. You're not worthy or unworthy based on your performance either. You're valuable because God said you're valuable. You see how big that choice is? I'm I'm choosing to live my life in Christ. I'm choosing to not try to be better. I'm just going to let him save me. Let him change me. Let him say that I'm valuable. Instead of trying to work my way to heaven, try to swim my way to Hawaii when there's no shot any way of getting there. I'm just going to let, I'm going to trust Jesus. He did the work for me that I could never have done. And now I stand before God and I am valuable. And he says, you're a saint. And I go, there's no way possible because look what I did. And he goes, that's why I died. I got all that. I love what Reinhard Bonnke said. Sin doesn't get in the way of the gospel. Sin is a prerequisite for the gospel. It doesn't stop it. It's the reason we have a gospel. We're saints. And if I'm a saint, then you're a saint. In Christ. Most of us, we want grace for us, but we want to apply the Adam test to everybody else. Right? I'll forgive you when you're ready for it. I'll forgive you when you earn it. Well, how would I know? Oh, I'll know, buddy. I'll know when you can sleep in the room with me again. Right now, go on the couch. I'll give you your paycheck when you earn it. 
This is the world that we live in, right? So the, the whole concept, I mean, I'm even struggling to communicate it to you. The whole concept that people can actually be valuable without doing anything to earn it is just so un-American. It's hard for us to even accept. We'll talk about this in weeks to come, but just stick this in the back of your head. In Revelation chapter 2, there's a message given to this church in Ephesus. And the church, the, the angel basically says this. He says, hey, look, you've done a great job. You've done a, you have stood for truth. You have fought against falsehood. You have made sure that false teachers didn't come in and destroy the church. You've done a great job. Well done. Just got one problem. You've lost your first love. And he's not talking about their first love for Jesus. He's talking about their first love for one another. You've become so good at seeing truth, you've become so bad at being critical of one another. You've seen yourself as valuable in the eyes of God. I am a saint, but you forgot that so are they. How do you treat people based on how you perceive their value? I can tell you right now, some redneck walks in here. Wait, we're already here. I'm just messing with you. Somebody walks in here that we don't think is important. We're like, that's good to have you here. Well, somebody walk in that we think like has got money or they're the president of the United States or whoever you think is important, Luke Keekley, you know, whoever, right? Let them walk in here. And we're like scrambling, knocking chairs over to get over there to make them feel welcome. See, that's, that's what he's saying they did wrong. They, they, they lost their first love. They forgot that, wait, if I'm a saint and I'm in Christ, and if you're in Christ, you're a saint too. You're valuable. Look at the person next to you. If they're in Christ, they're valuable. You're like, they're not valuable to me. Maybe not, but they're valuable to the king. And if you're valuable to a king, that should change the way that I treat you. We all know this is true. Even if you don't love Jesus, you know this is true. Because if you've ever been on a first date when you were a teenager, you walked in. If you were smart as a guy, you talked nicely to the girl in front of her dad. You didn't walk in and go, what, you ready, woman? Let's go. Come on, I got places to be. I got another girl to see after you. Let's get out of here. Because the dad would be doing what? Punching and or shooting you with a rifle. Even if you didn't care about that girl, or if you're smart, you walked in, you're like, hello, sir, my name is. It's nice to meet you. Nice to make your acquaintance. I'll be taking your daughter to this place. We're going to be eating. It'll take us approximately 43.2 minutes to eat. And we'll be getting in the car. We'll be listening to elevator music on the radio. And I will have her back here five minutes before you expect me to. Even if you got in the car and said, oh, that was stupid, and I'm not going to do any of that, let's go. But if you're smart, you at least treat her with respect in front of her dad, because guess what? She's valuable to him. Now look around the room. In Christ, and I'm not even making the assumption that all of you are in Christ, okay? I'm going to make the other assumption that a lot of you are not in Christ. But if you are in Christ around this room are people that matter to their dad. 
And that should change how we treat one another. Ooh, suddenly you can't blow off the relationships that you thought weren't important because that person matters to their dad. And if you don't treat them with respect, if you don't treat them as if they're valuable to their dad, guess who you're not going to be valuable to? Their dad. Which is why here's the hardest statement I'll make today. If you cannot treat others in Christ with value, you're probably not as in Christ as you think you are. And that should scare the snot out of us. If you were here for the first John study, I mean, that whole book was about, look, don't say you love Jesus and then be a jerk to somebody else. Like, how you treat people reflects how you really see Jesus. Those are hard words. But, man, I'm telling you, church people, we're the worst at this. We're the worst at saying, I matter. I, yes, man, I know it. I'm a saint. Thank you, Jesus. But, ugh, I can't stand you. You rubbed me the wrong way. You're talking about somebody who's also a saint in Christ, who is valuable to their father. And what will happen is we will not be at odds with those people. We will be at odds with their father. You can ask my children, they will tell you. When they pick on each other, it does not go well. Because I'm their dad. No, 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 you will not be mean to one another. I will step in. You will meet Jesus. It also changes how we see God. Now, this is critical, too. I, I'm, I know I'm way too honest for you guys. I just say the things that you've thought all your life, right? Most of us are pretty sure that God's a jerk. And if he's not a jerk, we're pretty sure he just puts up with us. And we're sure he puts up with the person next to us. But if we really believe this, then it, look, this is just one example. I mean, next week we're going to read from verses 3 to 14. I'm going to give you like nine or ten ways that we have benefits that we have from being in Christ. This is just one of them. One benefit of being in Christ is that you are valuable. It should change how you see yourself. It should change how you see others because if they're in Christ, they're valuable too. But it should also change the way I see God because if I'm in Christ, he's the one that said I'm valuable. So apparently he's not the dude with the big stick looking to beat me up. It should change everything. And I don't know why it is that we live in such fear of God. Why do we live in fear of a God who loves us? Do, do I want my children to grow up fearing me? Kind of, if I'm honest, right? <laughs> but not really. Do I want them to be afraid to come tell me things? No. The good news, especially for my kids, is that God's a lot better at that than I am. Because we kind of like people to be afraid of us because it gives us some um, control. God's not power hungry. He's not a control freak because he's God. And he just looks at us and says, I value you. And man, when God values me, if he sees me like that, how he sees me should change how I see him. Hebrews, great book. We'll do a study in it sometime. 
all kinds of verses like this. Let us boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why can we approach the throne of grace with confidence? Because Jesus made the way. We read it in Ephesians 2. He came and preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near. And he gave a way for us to come near God without fear. It changes the way that we see God. Sneak peek in the next week, verse 3 says this. Because we're in Christ, because we're saints, because he sees us as valuable, verse 3, Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of dad is he? The kind of dad who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with how many spiritual blessings? Who's got a Bible? How many? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. I don't know how you are at Christmas time, but Christmas time for us is like, guys, if I could give you the world, I would. Well, maybe I wouldn't. But there's no way it's going to happen because I can't give you the world. Because I looked in my pocket and my wallet and it's like, dude, I can't even give you like a city. God gives us every spiritual blessing. He is not the dad who's kind of budgeting Christmas, right? It's like, man, if you're in Christ, you get it all. You get it all. That changes how I see God. All of that just from being in Christ. Just one example of how being in Christ changes everything, and that should dramatically change the way I see my relationship with Jesus. So if all that hinges on being in Christ, then nothing else matters, right? Nothing else matters this year except Jesus. That's all that matters. Nothing else is nearly as important. If one choice can affect every choice, and we better make the right choice, the only right choice is Jesus. So here's the one application, and we're done. When you came in this morning, you got handed a little small sheet. You should have gotten a small sheet, and if you don't have one, we'll get you one. And it just says at the top of, in 2014, my one step will be, and a couple blanks. If you need one, just raise your hand. We got them walking around with them right now. We'll make sure you have one. Preacher's kids didn't get one. Who is their dad? Now, let me talk you through the concept, okay, of this. Usually, at the beginning of a year, we have a lot of goals. We have a lot of things that we want to accomplish. And by the end of the year, we've not done any of them well, if we've done any of them at all. I mean, I'm just basing this off my experience as living in my skin, okay? Your experience could be different. Maybe you are absolutely 100% a goal setter and achiever and all that stuff. I just know for me, if I've got, there's so much you want to do. There's some, I want to be a better dad, better husband. I want to be this. I want to I run five marathons and I want to do this and this and this. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, well, if I could like be 10 people, maybe. But we, we end up, we're so distracted. And by the end of the year, what you'll find is you didn't do any of those. And if you did any of them, you probably didn't do any of them well. So what I want you to think about is this. If my relationship with Jesus is the right choice, and it is, first, got to choose Jesus. And if you've never made that choice, today's the day to start that. 
Today is the day to say, what is it? how do you get saved? You say things like this, I choose Jesus. I choose to walk with Jesus the rest of my life. I choose to love Jesus. I choose to love people that Jesus loves. I choose Jesus. And if you've chosen to live in Christ, then if we're really a branch and he's really the vine, then I want to be, I want to be as attached to that tree as I possibly can be. I don't want to be like the branch, you know, that kids have hung on forever and it's just barely dangling on, right? Like, is it dead? Is it alive? I see leaves, but they look all crunchy and brown. I don't know what's going on there. I don't want to be that. I want to be like the branch that's got birds and leaves and all kinds of stuff growing on it. And people are like, no, that branch is healthy. That's what I want to be. And apparently to do that, what does the branch have to do? Just like be stuck to the tree. And making sure all the stuff inside the branch that gets all the nutrients from the tree is attached well and working well. And I guess there's no clots in the artery or whatever you call that with trees. That was weird. Sorry. I want to be that person. I want to be the person who's thriving. I want to be as attached to that tree as I possibly can be. Does that make sense? So your sheet of paper, my hashtag one step hashtag my one step here's what that is for you what's one thing I know, we know what the one thing is the one thing is jesus but what's the one step that you could take this year if you could only do one thing this year that would guarantee that you would sit here in 12 months closer to jesus what would it be i'm not asking you to put down a 500,000 goals i'll give you an example Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. This is when Paul wrote down what his one thing was. He says, I want to know Christ. What was Paul's one thing? To know Christ. Did he choose Jesus? Yes, Paul chose Jesus because that one choice impacts every choice, and so we better make the right choice. And so he made the right choice. He said, I, if my whole life boils down to one thing, I just want to know Christ. I choose Jesus. That's his one thing. You got that? It's clear enough? This morning, I pray that that's your one thing, that you would, I, I choose Jesus. Here's my one thing. I want to see Jesus this year. I mean, like I told Wendy, Hopefully not literally. You know, this time next year, when to be standing up here holding the mic going, Paul's in heaven now. He wanted to see Jesus. Check. But I just want to see Jesus. You know, I really got grabbed by the verse, I think it's Luke 2, 17, where it talks about the shepherds in the Christmas story, that when they had seen Jesus, they went and spread the word about him everywhere. And I just read it this year, and I went, God, that's what I want. I know it sounds really spiritual, and how do you even do that? I don't know. I just want to see Jesus. I want to see him in such a way that I would spread the word about him everywhere. That's my goal. That's my, that's my one thing. I want to know Christ. I want to be in Christ. So what is a step? Here's what Paul wrote. His one step is in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. And here's how I want to know Christ. I said verse 12. It's verse 13. Sorry. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, here's his step, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So if we were going to break all that down, and if Paul was sitting here, which he'd smell because he'd have like old, old clothes and stuff, and 
he wouldn't have an iPhone. But if he was sitting right here today listening with his chisel and stuff and parchment, whatever, he, he, he'd, have, he'd have a sheet of paper and it would say, in 2014, hashtag my one step is, and Paul would write down, to live forward, not backward. I'm going to look ahead. I'm not going to look behind. He says, because I want to know Christ. And the one step I'm going to take in 2014 to make sure that happens is I'm going to forget what lies behind and I'm going to press on towards what's ahead. Does that make sense? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. What is, what is my one step this year? I, I, man, I just want to see him. How am I going to do that? Well, here's one thing I've said. This is my example. I, I freely admit I'm a bad prayer. I mean, there's people that are really good prayers, and they just, they're just in a room, and they start talking to Jesus, and Jesus shows up. And I'm the guy that gets up in the morning, brews a cup of coffee, and holds it in my hand, and sits down and goes, hi, God, and here I am. Coffee's good. Help. <laughs> it's kind of it. I want to know you. I want to be close to you. My whole thing this year is I'm just taking the first, the first moments of, of my day, and that's when I be with Jesus. I was impacted by what Koshi told us in India. I mean, I've never met a man busier than Koshi in India, and here's what he says. So what do you do every day? He says, here's how I start my day. I just want to see the face of God before I see the face of man. I want to talk to God before I talk to man. And it just really impacted me. If I was filling out your sheet right now, that would be mine. I want to see the face of God before I see the face of man. In 2014, there's a myriad of things I want to do, but that's my one step. And if I can just do that, then I'm telling you right now, this time next year, I'm standing on this platform, I'm going to be closer to Jesus. I'm going to be more in Christ. My branch is going to be even more attached to that tree. That's the sound effect that branches make. You know that, right? Like when God's making trees, he's just like, that's what he does. I'm going to be closer to that tree. Okay, is that clear at all? Okay. All the type A people are like, oh, I don't want to mess this up. You can't. You can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. And here, let me tell you why we're doing this. Because a lot of stuff's going to happen in 2014. I get that. You know, we're growing. There's a lot of stuff that's going to take place. But it's so critical that we stay focused. And not on the supermodel when she walks in the room. But focus on the right thing. And the right thing is Jesus. And so as your leadership, we want to stay focused on that. And you know what I want to do? I mean, we have, you have, you ever feel like you go to meetings all the time? Yeah, you can just meet yourself to death, right? But, and we have meetings, and we have elder meetings, and here's what we're going to do in 2014. In just a minute, you're actually going to fill this sheet out. You're going to put your name on it, not because we want to stalk you, but because we want to pray for you. Because I want to come up to you, I want to come to Randy in August and say, hey, Randy, man, it's August. How are you doing with... And I just want to say to him, his one step. And so we meet once a month as elders, and we want to pray for you. We just want to pull out your sheets and just pray for you by name. God, help Wendy as she tries to survive being married to Paul this year. Probably what she wrote down. My one step, don't kill Paul. So I'm going to pray in just a minute, and I'm going to ask you to fill those out. And then as we take communion this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As you come up to receive communion, if you come to the front, just, just lay that on the, on the platform. If you go over here, just lay it on the table. If you're at the back, just hand it to the elders as you go. 
And again, it's not because we want to be in your business. We just want to pray for you. We just want to pray for you. We want to support you. I, I want you so desperately to see growth in your life with Christ. And it's not going to happen because you try to do a bazillion things for Jesus. But it could happen if you just did one. And that's what I want you to write down. If one choice can impact every choice, and Jesus is the right choice, then what is the one step that you can, in, you can do it intentionally and consistently over the next 12 months to nurture that relationship?